0: This is a CBC Podcast. It can be very, very tempting to read someone's diary. Generally, they're not meant to be read, but getting a peek at someone's private thoughts can tell us a whole lot about them. I've been recording my life in a journal since I was a teenager, and I'd be pretty embarrassed to share those old diaries with anybody. Back then, I wrote a lot of angsty poetry. Truth was, I felt kind of alone. But my journal was a comforting place. I wrote mundane day-to-day stuff, but I made confessions too. My hopes and dreams, my fears and fantasies. There was something therapeutic about it. My journal became my friend, the one I spilled my guts to, without any judgment. Is there anything more personal than the pages of a diary? I'm Duncan McHugh, and this is a Hell of a Story. Nadia Halibagovic also kept a diary when she was a teenager, but in the most difficult of circumstances, a war.
1: But each day in Sarajevo, they're there. Each dull thud, a reminder that heartbreak is never far away. To people who've watched an age,
0: 30 years ago, she was trying to make sense of her world as bombs fell all around her. Now, she and producer Joan Weber return to the siege of Sarajevo and the diary Nadja kept. Here's her story.
2: I was 12 years old when the war broke out in Bosnia. Um, But before then, I was just a regular kid. I was this carefree girl who loved music and singing and playing her guitar. In
1: 1991, the year prior to war, Nadja was even chosen to represent Sarajevo in a national singing competition in what was then still Yugoslavia. In a live televised event in a big stadium, children sang Hits of the Year. Nadja belted out Roxette's Joyride. In old footage, you can see a tiny Nadja performing for thousands. Skipping across the stage with a long scarf and a polka dot top and leggings, she looks very much the mini rock star.
2: I wanted to be the next Whitney Houston. That was very much the, the dream. It's a very harrowing and um, stark juxtaposition uh, from then to just a year later when I became a child of war and that very stadium was being shelled and bombed nearly on a daily basis. Belgrade Radio described the situation in at least three Bosnian towns as outright war. Five municipalities have declared a state of emergency in the face of fierce fighting. It
1: was early in 1992 when Bosnia declared independence from Yugoslavia, a move opposed by Bosnian Serbs. And so in the opening days of April that year, Sarajevo was surrounded by Serbian forces.
2: It was a Monday, I remember. I, you know, put my textbooks and my notebooks in my backpack and I entered my family's living room only to find my parents still undressed. They were in their bathrobes and pajamas and I didn't know what what was wrong. And I said to my mom, is it a holiday? And she said, no, it's perhaps the farthest thing from a holiday.
1: It was the first day of what would become known as the Siege of Sarajevo. The city came under blockade, and government forces prepared to defend the capital.
2: There were men in sock masks on their heads and armed. They were placing barricades throughout parts of the city and blocking the streets, and the president announced a state of emergency. So we all just stayed at home and watched these terrible and unbelievable images on television. The reality of war didn't really hit until a few days later when we started hearing explosions and whistling of sniper bullets. We were just so scared. The electricity was cut off, so we couldn't take elevators down. And within a single hour, you had some 270 tenants of our 20-story apartment building running down those staircases in this mad dash towards three underground rooms that we had as storage, as basements. So that was the introduction.
1: And very soon...
2: War became a feeling, a feeling of dread, a feeling of insecurity and anxiety and lack of safety and fear. And that feeling never left me for the four years that I was, you know, 12 to 16 years old. And that feeling hasn't left me since. When the war first broke out... We spent nearly a month and a half in the basement of our 20-story apartment building, and we all just crammed into these dirty and damp rooms because they were the safest places for us. We shared food rations that we had, and um, the adults would go up the stairs to grab rations and bring them down and And then, after a month and a half, we no longer had any food left. And we could tell that the war was there to stay, wasn't something that was going to pass. And so we had to start living again, despite the war, despite the daily bombings, despite the sniper bullets whizzing by our building. And so we did. Your Diary. Since April 6, 1992... The war has been furiously raging through... What you're hearing
1: is a young Nadja reading the English translation of her Bosnian journal.
2: With every explosion that destroys lives and my city, inside of me something breaks off as well. And so with every day, I less and less remember those days of peace and happiness.
1: Nadja was just one of a reported 62,000 children under the age of 14 who were living in Sarajevo. And for all of them, at least initially, school was an impossibility. In time, though, teachers and students found a way.
2: The teachers organized classes in various apartment buildings. And then eventually we would go back to our school buildings, only to have them shelled and bombed and innocent children and teachers dying.
1: When it was too dangerous to meet physically, teachers would go to the national broadcaster to record their lessons, braving sniper bullets and shelling.
2: Lessons in history and English and our own language, Bosnian.
1: They were frequently without electricity, so Nadja relied on a battery-operated radio, one she would listen to even when school was not on the air.
2: I was at home one day, alone. My mom was at work, dad was, I'm sure, busy trying to find find food or water outside. And uh, there was a show where the adults would call in and talk about politics and world issues. And, and I thought to myself, I want to call. I want to read a poem I had written um, on the radio. So I called up and the announcer, I remember, she was really surprised to hear a young child's voice. But she said, all right, please read us your poem and we'll even record you. It was called Never Again. She reads
1: the English translation for me. The original is in Bosnian.
2: In this crazy war, I watch these villains shoot at everything that moves, at everything that breeds. They're killing children, they're killing the elderly, they're killing all humanity. Hey you, black bird, you who extinguish hundreds of lives every day, you who launch bombs and grenades, you who destroy my school and take away my dreams. You too will fall one day. Your face will be caked with mud and dirt. Perhaps you will even feel some remorse, but it will be too late. It will be too late. We will keep those we have lost alive in our hearts. Together we will rebuild our schools. I will once again find my dreams. Only you, blackbird, only you will be never again. And that day they kept replaying that poem over and over again and it, it got to be very popular, the fact that a child called in and, and shared her experiences through a, through a poem about the war. Sometime
1: after, Nadja got a call from the radio station. They wanted her to have her own show, something she quickly agreed to.
2: I would either call and record my show through, through the phone, or often I would, you know, sort of risk life uh, to go to the radio station. At first, her show consisted
1: of her singing and playing her guitar, talking about music and composers, but she wanted to do more.
2: The best way I knew how to connect was to talk about my experiences because they weren't just my experiences. They were our mutual experiences of the war and of the little joys as well as many sorrows of living under siege. So I started sharing parts of my war diary, um, which no longer felt just my own, but a witness to what we were all experiencing as Sarajevans, as Bosnians.
1: Her diary would be published during the siege, printed with the help of a humanitarian group. At the
2: beginning of the war, we received aid once or even twice a month. Now we never know when, because the aggressor often stops the convoys with food and denies them entrance into the city. We didn't have bread, but we made hundreds and hundreds of copies of my book.
1: Nadja doesn't know what happened to recordings of her radio show, lost, she presumes, like so much from those days. But what she does still have is a copy of a documentary produced, she thinks, by the national Dutch broadcaster. That's where the audio of Nadja reading her diary
2: comes from. DECEMBER second, 1992. Dear diary, no water, no gas, no electricity. There is nothing. That, my dear diary, is the definition of these dreary war days.
1: A television crew followed her for a week when she was 15 to learn about her life as a child in war. Nadja later dubbed in her English translation.
2: This is the most dangerous street in the city. For two years now, the snipers have been coldly killing the innocent passers-by. It has been peaceful for a few days now, but you never know when they'll start again. That's why I'm a bit scared right now standing here, but I wanted to show you the street, which the citizens nicknamed the Street of Death. By then,
1: running or driving at breakneck speeds to stay safe had become a way of life in Sarajevo.
2: We were all shot at and we would duck inside buildings or fall to the ground as we heard an explosion or mortar shell whizzing by.
1: In news footage from the time, you can see small, somber-faced children gripped by parents dashing down the streets. Despite it all, concerts and other cultural events continued. Nadja belonged to a choir that would sing in underground hospitals and schools and one Easter at Sarajevo's main cathedral. probably the most traumatic day for Nadja, came early in the siege.
2: Dear diary, I will remember this Sunday, October 18th, 1992, as a gloomy and a very sad day of my childhood. I was 13 years old and it had been weeks since I'd been outside. I was just wilting indoors because it was too dangerous to go out and my parents wouldn't let me go outside. And it was a beautiful October morning and it was peaceful, a rare peaceful morning.
1: She begged her mom to let her go outside, even just for a few minutes. At first, her mother said no, because so often the calmest days would lead to bloodshed, exactly because families thought it was safe to go out. But her mom finally relented on one condition, that Nadia stay close to the apartment.
2: And I did, but I hadn't been outside for about 10 minutes when an artillery shell exploded just a few feet away from me. A bomb hit the building. There was a deafening detonation and lots of thick smoke. And this rain of shrapnel um, showered my legs. I knew I was wounded. I remember the terror of it. I feel the terror of it to this day. I remember the snipers shooting at us as we were driving to the hospital and telling my dad, wow, it's not enough that I'm just wounded. They're trying to kill me, Dad. She
1: vividly remembers that whole day.
2: In fact, so many times in the past two and a half decades since surviving the war, I had wished that perhaps the memories would fade, that the smell of torn flesh and iodine in the hospital room that was filled with wounded, filled with panicked doctors and nurses trying to get to everyone. There were some dead bodies and unresponsive people on the floors would dissipate or fade, or that the look on my father's face as he picked me up from the bloodied tiles where the neighbors had a, were busy, tying up my legs and trying to stop the bleeding. And so I remember everything.
1: In particular, she recalls one boy.
2: He must have been eight or nine. He was muffling his mouth with his own hand and his own his own fingers because they were taking a piece of shrapnel out of his back without any anesthetic. And so I was crying because my legs were bloodied and I didn't know if I'd get to keep my legs Looking at him and his courage, I remember telling myself silently at 13, stop crying, be brave like that little boy.
1: Nadja did not lose her legs, but they had been badly injured.
2: After many hours in the hospital where doctors tried to stop my bleeding, Dad and I returned home. I mean, I can't imagine the pain in my mother's heart not knowing if Dad would just come alone. I had four big, thick bandages all over my legs, and I remember my brother, Sonny, just crying like a child. And there was still, little did we know, nearly three years left of the siege. So it was very difficult as a child to, to keep living again, despite the fact that I didn't escape the danger. I had escaped death that day.
1: Nadja's parents were desperate to get her out of the city.
2: They were terrified that the next time I would be even more gravely wounded or I would be dead.
1: There was just one escape route, which had been built by hand and in secret by their Bosnian soldiers.
2: A tunnel, an underground tunnel.
1: It came to be known as the Tunnel of Hope. It began on the outskirts of Sarajevo and extended nearly a kilometre to nearby Bosnian-controlled territory. The route was used to bring in desperately needed food and medical supplies. It also provided a way out. But people needed a permit from city officials, something her parents had repeatedly tried but failed to get. Then in the summer of 1995, Nadja's mother received a letter, a reply, from an organization helping children get to safety.
2: And this organization offered A spot, a single spot for me um, in a group of kids that were to go from Bosnia and fly to America and be given host families for the duration of the siege and be saved. My only wish is to live freely.
1: The flight would leave from neighboring Zagreb in Croatia in a matter of days. It was now urgent that Naja escape Sarajevo. So on a late August day, Nadja's mother went out on her fourth attempt to request a permit from the city.
2: I remember sitting at my piano and playing just a few chords when this deafening explosion shook the building and the few windows that were left in our street were shattering. I could hear people screaming soon after and I heard one explosion after another hitting close by. So I ran towards the front door of our apartment just crying and screaming and covering my ears so I wouldn't hear this noise from the outside. My only thought was are my parents dead or wounded?
1: It was a particularly bloody day. Officials were rushing to get people, including her mother, out of the government offices, when suddenly one worker...
2: Grabbed two pieces of paper, typed up our names on them, and signed them. And those were our permits to leave that night.
1: One for her, the other for her mother, who would accompany her as far as Croatia. Croatia. That evening, Nadja and her mother made their way to the tunnel at the edge of town.
2: The first thought I had as I entered the tunnel was, it looked like a tomb with its dead still walking.
1: It was so cramped, people could only travel in one direction.
2: We walked for about 30 minutes in deep mud, my mom and I, each with suitcase in hand, and I had a backpack on. And above us were these... Uh, support beams. So they were supporting the tunnel um, from caving in. And there were also oil pipes ingeniously bringing in gasoline into the city. And it was dark. Uh, There were just some flickering light bulbs every few meters. So you couldn't see very well.
1: Nadja remembers how she had to hunch over as she moved. The tunnel was roughly one and a half meters tall and about a meter wide. And she says there was no air circulation
2: started feeling this deep pang in the in my legs in where I was wounded and I just wanted to give up. I just I looked ahead of me and it seemed endless this tunnel and I didn't think I had the, the strength to keep treading through that mud and it was my mom she said to me Nadja, remember your dream and you keep walking, okay? And I just took one deep nauseating breath and I kept going and we made it through the tunnel and through the rest of the harrowing journey of, you know, throughout Bosnia in order to make it to Croatia in time for my flight to America.
1: I asked Nadja about the moment she had to part ways with her mother.
2: I remember it still. It's, again, another thing you sort of wish for the pain that it that inflicts, that it would be a little less um, in 3D and color but it never fades. My mom was wearing a pink dress. I remember very much how beautiful she looked and she had sunglasses. It was summer and she was smiling and she was waving but I knew and I could see this like still the lines on her face showing that behind the smile and behind the glasses she was crying and I remember thinking I hope this is not the last goodbye. I hope this is not the last time I see my mother. I'm a museum of images like that. She was so incredibly brave, not only to say goodbye to her child in the hopes that I would have a better life, but also the fact that she was turning back into the darkness and into the bloody experience of the siege.
1: At 16 years old, Nadja arrived in the U.S. alone, afraid and unable to speak the language. But the actions of the strangers who would greet her matter still.
2: I was embraced by my host family, by the students in my high school, by my teachers. They all wanted to know what happened and they all wanted to know my personal story. So that is what made a huge impact on me and still does to this day. At first, Nadja didn't
1: appreciate just how deeply she had been affected by the war.
2: I just was too focused on learning English and being like all the other children. I wanted to fit in. I wanted to acclimate as fast as possible. But later down the line, I realized that my mental health had suffered even more than my wounded legs.
1: Nadja would see her family again. They survived the remaining months of the siege which ended in early 1996 following a peace accord which stopped the fighting in Bosnia. Nadja would visit, but never again live in Sarajevo.
2: just knew in my heart of hearts that I would never feel safe there and that I would never feel secure there. And I guess the irony of it all was that over the years I've learned that sadly, perhaps I never feel safe anywhere.
1: More than 10,000 Sarajevans were killed during the siege. Some put the death toll of children at about 1,600. Many more lost limbs, hearing, eyesight, and their innocence. Eventually, Nadja would finish a degree in music and move to Canada for work, talking to high school students about her experiences and advocating for children affected by conflict. But the war, she says, has never left her.
2: In a way, my brain has remained under siege, even though for now two and a half decades I've been blessed to enjoy peace. I call it the siege within. It takes but a trigger, whether it's a sound or a noise or a particular memory or an event, or of course an eruption of war somewhere in the world, to to take it to a whole other level.
1: And now, all these years later, there's a question whether the shrapnel in her legs could be shifting.
2: It's very hard to make peace with literal remnants of war inside your flesh. For me, it's something that I've had to accept, and I accept. But I find it unacceptable to know that there are children today who will, um, some of them anyway, sadly, have the experience like I do have today.
1: She urges people not to look away from the horrors children are facing in Ukraine and elsewhere. Nadja believes we all have a responsibility to do more, to find ways to help.
2: People need to allow themselves to be changed by by what, what they see and what they hear. We need our hearts cracked open. My message to the refugees coming to Canada and to children is to trust that there's more good than bad in the world and accept any friendly hand and any loving gesture. I hope that we will give them all the empathy and support and love and hospitality that I have received. Because even with it, with so much goodness that I've received, I received, I know how much I suffer the after effects of war. So I just hope that the children coming will receive all the help and more than I ever received. Because sadly, the longer and the more prolonged and intense their experience of war is, the more help and empathy they'll need.
0: That doc was by Joan Weber, and listening to that, it makes my heart go out to the millions of children around the world living through war right now. Not only in Ukraine, but places like Syria, Congo, and Sudan. And that's it for this week's Hell of a Story. The show was produced by Tanera McLean, Julia Poggle, and me, We're part of the CBC Audio Doc Unit. And big thanks this week to our friends at The Doc Project. And hey, if you like what you're hearing on Hell of a Story, do us a solid hit subscribe, save to your favorites, tell a friend about us. We'd really appreciate it. I'm Duncan McHugh. Jimmy Gwitch, thanks for listening.